Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at is going on everybody welcome to hump day i mean wednesday's edition of murph's boston sports talk i am your host james murphy and in this one we are going to be diving deep into patriots chatter we're going to be talking about the 2021 schedule going over it potential potential wins and losses for each week going to talk about an updated stefan gilmore contractual situation and then later on, we're going to be talking about the Boston Red Sox and their late resiliency that they've been performing and showing us on the field. Again, winning last night against the Atlanta Braves in, I guess, dramatic fashion, even though they were the away team. But you you catch my drift, right? In accordance to what I just mentioned about the Patriots week-by-week week thing, I know that I talked about it a little over a month ago. It was actually May 12th when the Patriots schedule did come out. And I did dive into potential wins and losses going week by week really in-depth there. However, obviously, the draft was done by then. But, you know, some free agents made it fill up. You know, camps are starting to, you know, start to, I don't want to say wrap up. But camps have come and gone. And I just really want to give it a second look because I may feel different about the Patriots. I may feel different about certain teams. Obviously, the Patriots are playing the Atlanta Falcons, and they don't have Julio anymore. The Patriots are playing the Tennessee Titans. They now have Julio, so there could be some implications there as well. So I won't go as deep into it, but I just, as I did on May 12th, which was episode 49 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk, but I definitely want to graze over it and just, like I said, keep you updated on that on the schedule and what I think the Patriots' season could look like. And I'm not going to go over what I said on that episode in this podcast, but I do want to mention that in that episode, episode 49, I did have the Patriots finishing 11 and 8 on the new 17 game regular season schedule. 11 wins, 8 losses. Haven't looked at the uh, schedule honestly since then, so I'll have to go through it and, you know, win, win, loss, what, whatever it may be, and see if we're at 11 and 8. Hopefully. Be nice if it's better, and if it's worse, then sheesh, I don't know. And I also, I want to pose the question before I do dive into that. At what point, if Cam Newton is still on the roster, if, and I guess he will be the starting quarterback for week one, though Mac Jones is giving him a really good run for his money, at what point do the Patriots pull the plug on um, Cam Newton? Is it? Two and two? Is it, you know, two and four? Uh, four and four? At what point 
Will Bill Belichick finally admit defeat on this whole Cam Newton scandal, not scandal, uh, situation, and just be like, all right, Mac Jones, sure. Or, I mean, I guess Jared Stidham, but that's a discussion for another day, I would say. At what point does Bill Belichick pull Cam Newton if he's the starting quarterback come week one and into the 2021 season and go with a different quarterback, whether it's Jones, Stidham, hell, even Brian Hoyer? And if you're hearing some chirping in the background, I do apologize. That is my mother's bird. I am watching him for the week while she is away visiting my sister. I will try to pause it when he's really chirping, like now, (laughs) and so he can just freaking shut the hell up. All right, without further ado, let's go into the week-by-week schedule with the New England Patriots. And to be quite frank... I don't know if Cam Newton will be the starter. I know Bill Belichick's been saying that. I I think he will be, and I don't think he will be at the same time. It's a little, it's a weird conversation. If Cam Newton is the starting quarterback, then he will be the starting quarterback probably until at least after the Buccaneers game. There's no way Mac Jones is going to be starting that game unless he is the quarterback to start the season. So as we go week for week talking about the Patriots, winning losing this week and that week just keep in the back of your mind that I'm going to assume that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback here and let's go with the fact that we're all asking the same question when will Cam Newton get pulled as the starting quarterback so let's just dive into it week number one I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty uh, nitty details you know September 12 4 25 p.m. start I did that all in episode 49 of Merce Boston Sports Talk. So if you really want me to dive into each and every game, that is where to go. I'm just going to really brush upon each game here. Dolphins at Patriots win. Patriots at Jets the next week win. Saints come into Foxborough for week three. Tough game. Obviously no Drew Brees. Jameis Winston, I'm assuming, is going to be the starting quarterback. Team overall is very good. But I just think that team is going to be very different without Drew Brees. It could go either way. But since it's in Foxborough, I'm going to say win. Week 4, Buccaneers, Patriots. I have to give that one a loss, right? I just don't think the Patriots have what it takes to dance with the defending Super Bowl champions. Brady's coming back into town. Obviously, Bill Belichick's one that's going to stick it to him. saying, you know, Thinking that he made the right decision of letting him go. But also, Brady's going to have probably the same mentality coming back to Foxborough wanting to stick it to Bill that letting him go was the wrong decision so after three weeks I currently have the team at three and one Patriots visit the Texans week five that's a win uh, Cowboys come into town for week six I mean that's going to be a tough game that could honestly be a toss-up Dak's coming off big injury, but overall, do the Cowboys have what it takes? That defense is still atrocious. Offense is nice, but I'm going to have to give that one a win. Jets come to to Foxborough for the Patriots. That's just a win. Let's forget about it. Patriots go visit the Chargers. Interesting game there. Oh, there goes my chapstick. Ah, Justin Herbert's very nice. They don't have Hunter Henry anymore. They still have uh, Keenan Allen. They still have Austin Eckler. Ah, hmm. I want to go win on this one. And was it uh, Patriots visit the Panthers for week nine in Carolina? 
Cam Newton homecoming game, maybe, if he's still the starter by then. Overall, the Panthers are an inferior team to the Patriots, so I will say win there. And currently, as we are halfway through the new 18-week regular season, we are at week 9, and I have the Patriots 9 games in at 8-1. and one. Now, that one loss is to the Buccaneers, and you could probably say that the Patriots might lose one or two other games within there. You could look to the Saints game, the Cowboys game. Um, what else could you really look at? The Chargers game, maybe. So although I have the Patriots currently 8-1, and one, I would say that is unrealistic, but not super far-fetched. Ideally, at this point in the season, we could see them, or I wouldn't even say realistically, 7-2, and 6-3 at worst. And through nine games, if you are six and three, let's just go with six and three. All right. Worst case scenario, based off of this winning and losing, uh, you know, skit that we're doing. Are you pulling Cam Newton at six and three? If you're Bill Belichick and the Patriots, are you pulling Cam Newton if you are six and three, seven and two, or even eight and one? I mean, that's a bad look if you pull your quarterback and you're having that much success. Now, you could look at it from other thing, other side of things and say, well, the defense is revamped, it is rebuilt, retooled, and majority of these wins are probably going to be coming via the defense. And I will not argue that one there. But you have to look at the offensive side of the ball, too, and say, well, that's kind of retooled a little bit. You got brought in two good, young tight ends. You brought in uh, Nelson Aguilar. You brought in Kendrick Bourne. You did not really bring in a superstar or like a you know wide receiver one so you're still lacking there but if the Patriots are going to be eight and one seven and two or six and three it's not going to be because of Cam Newton in the offense and the reports coming from training camp is that Cam Newton still having accuracy problems in that he can't aim the ball when he's throwing it he's not accurate he's the least accurate out of the four passers which is obviously Newton Jones Stidham and Brian Hoyer I just, if the Patriots are going to have this early season success, 8-1, and 7-2, 6-3, it is not going to become because of Cam Newton. It's going to be because of the defense. So I have to ask, at what point does Bill Belichick pull the plug on Cam Newton? And I think I speak for every New England Patriot fan, whether you live in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, or wherever in New England, on the other side of the country, or maybe even across the world. We want to see Mac Jones this year. We want to see him this year. We're done with Cam Newton. I would say I speak for 98% of the New England Patriots nation. Right? If I'm wrong, let me know. If I'm wrong, please let me know. If you want to see Cam Newton, if you think Cam Newton is our best shot at winning anything this year, you tell me that I am wrong. I would love to hear it. But seriously, seriously, I originally had the Patriots after nine weeks in my episode 49 version of this. I had them at this point seven and two. And if you want to look at week 10, that is the game against the Browns with the Browns come into Foxborough for week 10. I have them losing that game. Okay, so after 10 weeks, seven and three, sure. And I probably, if we're going to be honest, in this segment here, I will probably have them losing to the Browns this year as well. So in this version, I have them 
eight and two. Still relatively close, still relatively the same record. Like I said, you can probably expect uh, a loss or two there that you didn't see coming. Like I said, maybe against the Cowboys, maybe against the Saints or the Chargers even, sure. I mean, do I see them losing to the Dolphins week one? No, especially in Foxborough. The two Jet games, they're not losing. The Buccaneers game, I already keyed in as a loss. And that Texans and Panthers game? <sighs> if the if Mac Jones is the starting quarterback for week one, I think they would be in a lot better position. I don't think the record would change, but moving forward, you would be in a much better position because you're having your future quarterback get real-time, real-life experience through actual game play by getting actual in-game snaps and not just practice snaps, okay? This is a passing league. The NFL is in a passing league, and it has been for the past half a decade or so. It's all about the quarterback. It's all about the big-name quarterbacks, the big-name wide receivers. All Almost all the running backs are pass-catching backs nowadays. The tight end is one of the most versatile weapons on the field because it can block, it can um, pass-catch, checkdowns, deep routes, whatever you need it to do. It's like having a lineman being able to run routes to some of these tight ends. This is a passing league. Okay? Yes, you have your Lamar Jacksons, your Kyler Murrays, Russell Westbrook, I mean, Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson can still run, so you have all those quarterbacks. Cam Newton can still run, yes, but he is not the same runner that he was in Carolina. Not even close. We saw it last year. He only averaged four and a half or so yards per carry for a guy that's six, six and two, whatever pounds, 200, whatever pounds. That's not good enough. I just, I really don't think so. I mean, he's a good goal line or, you know, short yardage running quarterback. Yeah. Because it's hard to tackle someone that's six, six and like two forty or whatever he is. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, you look back at that week two loss in Seattle, fourth and goal, Hand the uh, he didn't hand the ball off, but he kept the ball and he got tackled in the backfield. I think that was a bad play call because they knew it was coming. I mean, you did the play before and earlier in the game. But I digress. That's a story for another day. If Mac Jones is not the starting quarterback for week one, when does he start? It would have to be any time after week four. You're not going to have him start his first game week four. Okay? And... According to my math, if the Patriots are on their track, on this track, I have them at three and one. That's really good. That's really good. You know, especially how last season went, you'll take four, uh, three and one. And then next thing you know, you're in Houston playing the Texans. That's a win. Playing the Cowboys at home and then the Jets to follow should be two wins, but it may be one win. I mean... If you have this early season success halfway through or even, say, up until week six after the Jets game, now you're five and one. Uh, I'm sorry. Now you're uh, six and uh, no, five and one, four and two. My goodness. I'm getting my numbers all mixed up. You're either four and two, five and one. And at that point, what's the point of bringing in Mac Jones? And the longer you wait to pull Cam Newton to start Mac Jones, you're only a wasting Mac Jones's time. And B, if this season maybe is flipped and you're three and three or three and four or two and five, 
then the season's over and the season's a wash. Would you rather be two and five with Cam Newton as your starting quarterback after seven weeks? Or would you rather be two and five with Mac Jones as your starting quarterback? Me personally, I'd rather be two and five with Mac Jones because, like I said, he will be getting real time snaps, real time playing experience against real defenses and not just the practice. Well, not the practice squad, but not just in practices, right? If you're two and five with Cam Newton, you're basically in the same spot you were in last year. Except now you have the quarterback of the future when last year the quarterback of the future was in question. Waiting to start Mac Jones would be virtually pointless because you're either going to have him start the season, week one, or you're going to put him in halfway through the season or whenever your t- or whenever the team shits the bed. And at that point, the season's lost. The season's lost, and we'll be talking about hockey and basketball starting up for the Bruins and the Celtics and the Red Sox, hopefully in the postseason by then. So it's like, ugh. In that Buccaneers-Patriots game, week four is so, so, ah, such bad placement. It really is. Because week four, you know, you're out of September now. That's when kind of things, you know, for a lot of teams kind of shift one way or the other. This this is, is quite an interesting story to really keep your eyes on. Because if the Patriots play well into the season... Say they, like I said, last time I did this, I had them 11 and 8. Uh, let's just finish this segment so we can actually ha- engage in a more full conversation and finish it, right? Week 10, I had them losing against the Browns. Week uh, week 11 against the Falcons, I have them winning. Week 13, Titans coming to town, I have them losing. Week 13 against the Bills, I have them losing. Week uh, 14's a bye, 15. In Indianapolis, that's tough. Could go either way, but let's just give them a loss for the hell of it. Buffalo Bills come into town. Week 16, we'll give them a win there. Jaguars at home, 17 win. And then you go to Miami for week uh, 18. Let's go win there, okay? Whatever. One, two, three, four, five losses. You are 12 and five. You're 12 and five. According to my prediction, right? Okay, guys, hold on real quick. I I had to pause recording because I was looking at my math and my numbers were so off. And you're either flaming me because I'm so stupid, but I had the Patriots 11 and 8. I was, I was referring to the Patriots. Oh, 11 and 8, 11 and 8. That's not even close. It's 11 and 6, all right? I thought that I was supposed to, you know, loop the top part of the 8 in my 6. It just... It looked ugly, so I just kind of kept circling it because that's what I thought it was supposed to be. Little stupid. I apologize. Whenever, you know, every time I said 11 and 8, just think I was saying 11 and 6, okay? So 11 and 6 last time on episode 49 from May 12th when the schedule came out when I did this. And right now, 12 and 5 on June 15th when I'm doing this. I I just want to clear the air on that. Anyways, as I was saying, if you go 12 and 5, and like I said, you could probably expect a, you know, unprecedented uh, unpredictable loss here or there, right? Maybe two of them throughout the season because going from a 7 and 9 to then 11 and 6 or 12 and 5, it's a kind of a big jump. So let's just say they go, let's I'm trying to split the middle here, but it's only one win and one loss difference. 
let's say they go 11 and 6, right? Let's say they do run into that one oddball loss. 11 and 6 more than likely will get you into the playoffs. I don't know about the division. I don't know about the division, but at least a wild card. There's three wild card spots. So 11 and 6 will get you into the wild card game. And Cam Newton is your quarterback. And he has been the whole year. Is that something you want to go through? Quite frankly, no. I'd rather have a mediocre year this year with Mac Jones, be on the cusp of that bubble playoff team, than be 11-6 and with Cam Newton. Now, I say that now, and in the moment, I may change my mind. I have a change of heart. Maybe. Okay, maybe. But I just think the development of Mac Jones in year one is going to be way more important than having a one-year you know, party with Cam Newton. And that's even if he's the starting quarterback. That's even if he can get you to 12-5 and five or 11-6. and six. That's even if he is still the starting quarterback come week 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, whatever. So I ask you this question again. At what point, if Cam Newton is the starter for week 1, At what point does he come out? And when does Mac Jones, Jared Siddham, or hell, even Brian Hoyer, I don't care, go in to replace him? Probably not Brian Hoyer, but at least Stidham and Jones. Jones is obviously the big picture future, but Stidham's going to, you know, he's going to try. He's going to try. He's still kind of a future quarterback if you look at it from a different perspective. If he's not, if Mac Jones is not the starting quarterback for week one, and if he is not the starting quarterback for week five, then you're going to waste a whole year. You're going to waste a whole year because you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Mac Jones is going to put you over the edge because he won't. But a mediocre year for Mac Jones is going to be super valuable come next year, the year after that, and the rest of his career than sitting on the bench. He's already picking up the playbook. He's one of the smartest in the quarterback room. He's really adapted to the whole Patriot way, the Patriot philosophy, this offensive scheme with McDaniels and Belichick. It's going to be really hard to get him the proper experience, playing time, all that that he needs this year and be competitive if he's not the starting quarterback right out of the gate. And I think the very last week that you can put him in is probably week five, maybe week six, if you're going to start Cam Newton and then take him out. Because if you're looking at middle of the season, maybe week 10, when you're five and five, the season's over. But by my math, come week 10, you should be seven and three. And then pulling Cam Newton just becomes that much harder. And I don't see... Cam Newton becoming this flame-throwing quarterback that we're seeing, you know, Mahomes and Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, them, them all boys being. So it's going to be really, really tricky, intriguing, and fascinating to watch how this quarterback story plays out, not just through camp, but preseason. We're going to have three full weeks of preseason for games that's really going to matter. A lot of people say preseason don't. And I'm a firm believer in that to a degree. I think two preseason games is more so correct because week one, kind of get everything going, the juice is pumping, and then the second game, maybe final tune-ups, players trying to make the roster, 
and such. But with three weeks, you will be able to do that and more. And teams that have quarterback battles really value the preseason games. Excuse me, I'm trying to get the hiccups, but I'm trying to hold them in. Preseason games for team teams with quarterback battles are so valuable. You have two guys. Who do you go with? Well, let's throw this one in for a quarter. Let's throw that one in for a quarter. Next week, we'll just flip it. The week after that, we'll give them two quarters each. On and on and on. And it's, it's going to be interesting to, to divvy up the playing time among the quarterbacks in the preseason. I don't see Brian Hoyer getting any snaps, but, you know, Cam Newton's going to get some. Mac Jones is going to get some. And Jared Stidham's probably going to get some as well. It's very uncharted territories for Patriots Nation right now and how they should feel, not just about preseason, but just the schedule in the season in general. Because before Tom Brady, you had Drew Bledsoe, who was a stable quarterback. You didn't really have any quarterback battles in the in the 90s when you had Bledsoe. And then obviously in the 2000s, the 2010s when you had Brady, you had no quarterback battles, at least not for the starting job. Now you do. Now you do, and now... If you're the Patriots, Bill Belichick, or just a fan, you kind of have to look at the preseason just a little bit different because those games, which were meaningless for the quarterback, are now valuable. So that's going to. So currently, right now, I have them at 12 and 5, but I will not turn my eye to a unforeseen loss here or there, and maybe they get an unforeseen win as well. I'm not going to hold my breath to 12 and 5 or even 11 and 6. But we could absolutely see them somewhere around there. I would say at least 10 wins is the bar. And I'd probably say the ceiling is maybe 13 wins. So somewhere in between there, I see is fair, accurate, and something probable, right? Obviously, we want them to shoot for 13 wins, being the higher number out of the bunch. But I think, you know, you'll take anything more than seven, right? You have to have after last year. So transitioning, uh, still talking about the Patriots. I do want to talk about a topic or follow up on a topic that we talked about too many t's i want to follow up on a topic that we talked about last episode on monday and that was the whole stefan gilmore situation i'm not going to go back into it and not going to go on another rant but just to catch you up in case you missed the last episode i talked about how stefan gilmore is holding out and i don't think he should where he's 31 years old coming off a big quad injury uh, where he had surgery on it he had a down year in terms of performance, and he's not being underpaid in terms of the whole contra- contract, but he is being underpaid in terms of just this year's salary. He signed a five-year, $65 million or so contract. Last year, we the Patriots bumped up $4.5 million of this year's salary to last year's salary, so he was making like 14 or 15 or something million dollars for last year. And so he's going to be making less this year. The number is still the same. It's still $65 million. That's That hasn't changed. But he is making less this year, only making a base salary of $7 million. And Stefan Gilmore, he's a smart guy. He's got his head on right, wife, kids. You know, he's got a ring, all that. I just don't think this is a smart decision. And I understand rookies holding out. Because they're on, you know, either their fifth year first round option or their last year of their just generic four year rookie contract, making dirt money and obviously don't want to get injured. So they miss that next big paycheck or that 
first big paycheck, right? I understand those perspectives. I still think holding out is kind of questionable, but I understand it. Dalvin Cook, Melvin Gordon, Jalen Ramsey for a little bit. I understand. I understand young guys on rookie deals holding out because they don't want to injure. They don't want to tear the ACL, season-ending, career-ending injury, then only being like you know hitched to one-year contracts and no big guaranteed money. I get that. This isn't Stephon. That's not Stephon Gilmore's case. He's 31. He's already made the big bucks, and he's looking to make more big bucks, which I'm not going to blame him for. But let's just keep in mind, he's only being underpaid this year because $4.5 million of this year's salary got bumped to last year. So he was making more last year. So like I said, the $65 million value did not change. It just changed on how last year and this year's salary is being broken up into. So we're not underpaying him in terms of the whole contract. He's we're just only being underpaid this year because he was overpaid last year. And like I said, I just think that's not smart. I think that's just bad business, especially being 31, down year in performance, quad injury and surgery. He has a lot to prove. He has a lot to prove. I just don't think he has a lot of leverage right now. And I guess neither do the Patriots because what team is going to want him and give good assets back? Maybe a lot of teams, but I don't think so because of everything I said. The age, the injury, the down year performance. So the Patriots are in no rush to get, you know, sign this extension because, I mean, yes, they would like to, but they don't have to because he's still, you know, signed through this year. The only one that's losing is Stephon Gilmore when he's getting fined for missing each day of mandatory camp. So the reason why I'm kind of bringing this back up and catching you up to speed is because Stephon Gilmore missed Friday, he missed Tuesday, and he missed Wednesday's practices. And not only has Patriots Nation noticed, whether that's a player, coach, a fan, but someone else in the league has noticed and like the whole league has noticed but one person has spoken up about it and that is Rams cornerback Jalen Ramsey he sees that Stefan Gilmore did not report to Patriots mandatory minicamp and tweets at him saying this at Mookie Betts got traded from Boston to LA and won a ring that was nice. What you think? At Stefan Gilmore, his, his username handle. Huh. Interesting. And then Jalen Ramsey would later follow up, quote tweeting his original tweet by saying, To all the smart asses, I know he has a ring. He can want two, though. LOL. I mean... Jalen Ramsey is recruiting Stefan Gilmore. I don't blame him. Having Ramsey on one side and then Gilmore on the other. Good luck opposing corner uh, quarterbacks. Good luck. Holy smokes. But I mean, I hate to bring up the Mookie Betts trade, but he is right. Mookie went from Boston to LA and won a ring just like that. Stefan Gilmore. Now, Mookie Betts wasn't holding out. But he was asking for ridiculous money in order to re-sign here with Boston. He wanted like $40 million a year or 
for like 10 years. Like, oh, like looking back at it, what I've given him the money, I'd probably lean yes. I'd probably try to stretch 400 maybe to 12 years just to make that yearly salary just a little bit easier because $40 million a year for a professional baseball player, that's nuts. I think that's just way too much. And I'm all on board of players getting their own in that league and all the leagues, trust me. I just I, I just didn't really see it. It was I just didn't think it was worth it to be honest. And you know, Alex Verdugo's playing nicely. We'll see about Jeter Downs and Connor Wong once they come up. But hey, the Dodgers won a World Series their first year with Mookie Betts. They won it last year. Obviously COVID nineteen shortened season, but trade worked off uh trade paid off for them. No doubt about it. Now Stefan Gilmore here in Boston, or I guess New England, is holding up because he wants another contract extension. And he's been in rumors of being traded to, you know, all of last year pretty much, including the trade deadline, and then obviously leading up to the draft this year and then in the offseason. I would not be surprised if he gets traded. I really would not be surprised. And I posed this question last time on last episode. We are currently facing the same situation this year that we faced last year. In 2017, That when the offseason kicked off, Patriots had Malcolm Butler fresh off a, uh, I, I guess he was an undrafted free agent, but like you know that kind of low-money rookie deal, right? His big payday was coming up. But instead, Bill Belichick decided to sign Stefan Gilmore to a big contract, bring him in for a long time, and then Malcolm Butler eventually walked. Okay? Five years later, or I guess technically four years later, Stefan Gilmore, now a Patriot, not a free agent, but now a Patriot, wants big money yet again, and you have a young undrafted free agent in JC Jackson making that you know low rookie money with a big contract himself coming up. Now, way back then, I was on board of re-signing Malcolm Butler to that Stephon Gilmore contract. I was. I'm not going to go into Malcolm Butler versus Stephon Gilmore, but I'm going to say, overall, I think it panned out. I would obviously believe that Malcolm Butler should have played in Super Bowl 52, but conversation for another day. We were able to win a Super Bowl with Stephon Gilmore, and he won the you know NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. So I think ultimately it worked out for him and the Patriots. But when you're facing the fact that now the same Stephon Gilmore is going is 31 years old, and you have J.C. Jackson who is 23, I'm not exactly sure. So let me just do a quick little search. J.C. Jackson, he's 25. Okay, a little older than I thought, but still, he's six years younger than Gilmore. He had he tied the league lead in interceptions, I believe, last year with nine. I, I could be blowing that number out of proportion, but he's young. He's up and coming. And J.C. Jackson this year is your Malcolm Butler from five years, well, four years ago, obviously without the game-saving, game-winning interception at the goal line on uh, Russell Wilson. But I think overall, I think J.C. Jackson is a better cornerback than Malcolm Butler is. You can't let this guy walk. You can't do it. If I'm picking one to pay, I'm picking J.C. Jackson or Stephon Gilmore for the reasons I've mentioned. J.C. Jackson's younger. I think right now he's better than him. He's 
I don't want to say he's more of a lockdown cornerback, but he still has room to grow and become better. Gilmore has hit his ceiling. We've seen what his best version of himself is, and he's potentially and possibly on the down uh, decline. 31 years old, coming off a quad surgery injury. Bars. And he had a down season last year. It just makes no sense to pay him and not pay J.C. Jackson. Pay your own guy. He deserves it. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that you should trade Stephon Gilmore, which you probably should, but what are you going to get for him? I think getting a first-round draft pick's out the window. Second pick, maybe? And I know Bill, uh, Bill Belichick only wants to trade him for a first. Now, for $7 million, getting a first-round draft pick should be easy to do, but then the other team has to give up that first-round draft pick, bring him in, and then re-sign him. They have to re-sign him after that, and that, that's going to be a challenge of itself, and they're not able to do that unless they have officially acquired him via trade. All while questioning his quad injury. All while questioning his age. And all while questioning his uh, performance decline. It's very tricky. It's very difficult. I think that you should potentially just, you know, see where not re-signing him takes you because he may report for preseason camp. He may be there. And if you can have Gilmore on $7 million and then J.C. Jackson on whatever the second-year bullshit tender is, four years, uh, four million, I mean, see how they go and then reevaluate this later in the season maybe. But if Stephon Gilmore is not going to play at all this year without a contract extension, trade him. Please trade him. I'd rather see you give that money to J.C. Jackson, lock him up for the next five years, then give it to Stefan Gilmore for the next three or four years. It's simple as that. And I think almost every Patriots fan would agree with that. I really do. But tell me what you think. I've chatted long enough. I want to hear what you think, not about the schedule and pulling Cam Newton, when to start Mac Jones, but also this whole Stefan Gilmore or JC Jackson, who should get the bag first kind of discussion. Reach out to me on social media, any social media platform, at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, please comment down below. I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions there as well, as I graciously would love to read any and all comments about today's discussion. As we exit our New England Patriots chatter, conversation, discussion, whatever it may be, whatever your heart would like to call it, Let's switch over to baseball where we will be talking about the Boston Red Sox and their recent late-inning heroics, their recent late-inning resiliency. But before we go into that, I want to talk about Eduardo Rodriguez. He has been sucking, okay? I'm not going to sit here for the next 10 minutes and just tear him apart and hit you with the fact that his ERA is god-awful. His ERA is atrocious. And I think that he is the worst starting pitcher in our rotation as it stands. I'm not going to do that, even though it may be true. He started the season 5-0, and like a 3-point-whatever ERA. Now it's all the way up to 6.21. Ultimately, though, I mean, he's in a contract year, so he's going to want to try to really perform and, you know, try to get the big bucks. 
But when you're sitting at 6.21 after 13 games started and you're 5-4, and four, does not look good. Does not look good. But either way, though, the Boston Red Sox are still, oh, where the standings go, 41-27. and 27. You're still two games back from the Tampa Bay Rays for first place in the American League East. But if we look at the recent Red Sox games, they have shown resiliency night in and night out, it almost seems like. Let's just look at a few recent games. Obviously, last night, 10-8 went over the Atlanta Braves, scoring three runs in the top half of the eighth inning. The night before that, or I should say, the yeah, the night before that, 2-1 to one win over the Blue Jays, scoring one run in the ninth inning to win. Uh, not that Blue Jays game, the other Blue Jays, Blue Jays game where they won 6-5 to five last Friday, scoring one run in the eighth and one in the ninth to win. Then the game against the Astros, where they won 12 to 8, scoring 5 in the 6th and then shutting the door down. I love this resiliency team. I mean, long haul, is it going to hold up and is it going to work? Probably not. But for right now, when baseball is really the only thing you have, it's nice. It gives you entertainment. It reminds me a lot of maybe the 2013 team when they won. It also reminds me of the 2018 team when they won, you know, late comebacks, dramatic fashion, you know, rallying and all that good stuff that you love to see in baseball. That's almost feels like a relic of the past. This Red Sox team has had its fair shares of ups and downs. I mean, 41 and 27 right now through punching the number 68 games. I think all of us would take it. I think all of us would take that. I don't know who predicted that the Red Sox would be better than that. I could probably find some people, a lot of people that would predicted the Red Sox to be worse than that. I would even say myself included a little bit. But 41 and 27 is a great position to be in. Yes, you'd like to see them get more dominating wins, right? Maybe like a 6 to 1 or like an 8 to 2 kind of a game, you know, just with more consistency. It feels like the Red Sox are only winning games when they're decided by a handful of runs. I mean, game last night against the Braves was decided by two. Monday, decided by one. I mean, Friday, uh, Sunday they lost 18-4, to four, so let's not talk about that. But uh, last Friday, they won by one. And then the Astros game that they won 12-8, to eight, they only won by four. Marlins won by three. And then, you know, we're going into the Yankees series, which is a little kind of far back, but... You, you get my drift, right? You want to see more dom- dominating starts by your starting pitching and obviously some more consistency from the bats earlier in the game. But you know what? I'm not going to sit here and complain. A win's a win at the end of the day. I just want to see them be more of a complete full team from all nine innings instead of just a late comeback, come from behind, last three innings or late inning kind of a team. I feel like those teams oftentimes fade over time when the good teams throughout the league start to really make their presence felt. And every so often, comebacks don't always prevail. Sometimes comebacks fall short. And that's nothing new in sports. It just It's just a thing. So how can the Red Sox improve from their current state, which is already in a good state right now, as it is, 41 and 27, It's already in a good spot, but like I've mentioned before, they need to go out and bring up, uh, get a bat in here, preferably an outfield bat. I 
keep saying that Jaron Duran is going to get called up, but he's no guarantee that he's going to be the solution. He's a rookie, going to be facing Major League Pitching for the first time. He can struggle. He's going to have his ups and downs. Look at Bobby Dahlbeck. Look at uh, Michael Chavis, who's you know up and down between Worcester and Boston. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's why I think bringing in a veteran bat would be a smart idea because this team, I don't want to say is relatively young, and you have veterans already, but when you have a couple young guys in your wings coming up soon, uh, Jaron Duran, Tristan Cassis, Jeter Downs, obviously Bobby Dahlbeck's here now. Michael Chavis is still relatively young. Who's down there? So you do have some guy, young guys up and coming. And already on the big league roster, you have you know Rafael Devers. You have Alex Verdugo. Like I mentioned, Bobby Dahlbeck. So although you do have veterans, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Christian Vasquez. I guess you know Rafael Devers is still kind of on the young, but he's also kind of on the cusp of a veteran at this point. Uh, Hunter Renfro, Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez. I I don't know why I just paused there, but you kind of catch my drift and bringing in a, a veteran outfield piece, I think would be very beneficial to this ball club right now, especially once Jaron Duran does come up. I feel like he could kind of, you know, be a little bit of a mentor to him, especially when the outfield is relatively young outside of a Hunter Renfro. You know, you bring in that outfielder, then you're able to put Kike Hernandez at second base, maybe make him more of a full-time second baseman, or just maybe even a platoon guy, because quite frankly, this year, I have not been impressed with Kike Hernandez's performances, especially being a leadoff hitter. I just don't think he's there to fulfill that role. He's hitting 224. Like, seriously? Yuck. <laughs> just yuck. So, I think kind of maybe switching him to more of a uh, platoon kind of a player with Marwin Gonzalez. For the time being, if you were to bring in that you know, veteran outfielder or if you were to bring up Jaron Duran, would probably be the best move. Pitching-wise, I really like the starting rotation. I just don't know how much it's going to hold, especially with the whole crackdown on using foreign substances to increase your spin rate or to help you get a grip on the baseball of things. I'm not going to dive into that can of worms. I feel like that's maybe best for another episode. But Nick Pavetta is playing and pitching fairly well. Garrett Richards started off, you know, kind of bad and he's pitching relatively solid. Nathan Eovaldi, you know, we know who he is. Look at, you know, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. He's off the radar right now in terms of his stellar performances. You do have Chris Sale coming back, which is nice, but at the end of the day, how much can we really rely on Chris Sale? So maybe bringing in a veteran arm that's cheap wouldn't be terrible. Because of the fact you just don't know what Chris Sale is going to be once he does get back. And then, oh, speaking of starting pitching, you have Martin Perez, who after his dynamite performance against the Astros at the end of May, has sucked his past three pitching uh, pitching starts. I think bringing in a veteran arm would be very nice. Even if you bring one in that's not a rental and that's not a one-year kind of a guy. Maybe bring in someone that has a couple years on him, so maybe you can move on from a Martin Perez or move on from a Garrett Richards come next year. These are all things that need to be considered if you want the Red Sox to become a legitimate contender in the American League. It's not just about hitting, but it's also about pitching too because at the end of the day, yes, hitting is half of the game. Well, 
I don't know how in depth you want to break down the game in terms of its percentage wise, but just just go with me. Hitting's half the game. Yes, the hitting, if it's not performing well early in innings, the pitching can only do so much. However, if the pitching sucks early in the game, then the hitting has to make up for it. So it just kind of depends on your perspective of things. But if you bring in better pitching, then the fact is that the more times you have to root and rally come late in the innings would potentially go down in percentage chances. At the end of the day, the Red Sox, if they want to be legitimate contenders, are going to have to make some serious moves if they want to do anything moving forward. Because quite frankly, I don't know how much longer this root and rally stuff is going to last. It lasted a long time in 2018, but that team was stacked and loaded with a ton of great players. And this year, you don't nearly, I mean, you have nearly, uh, you know, I don't want to say identical, but you have a ton of the same players, obviously. You're missing Andrew Benintendi, Mookie Betts, David Price. But still, you got to go out and bring some guys in to help this team because it's all about talent. Look at the Dodgers last year. Look at the Astros in 2017. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to do it. But folks, that's going to do it for this baseball chatter. I really hope you enjoyed that baseball minute. Let me know your thoughts about anything, the Red Sox rooting and rallying, the whole foreign substance thing, which I want to talk about in a later episode once more of that kind of gets cleared up with the league. Anything Patriots, anything Red Sox, obviously the Celtics and Bruins, they're done. They're, you know, they're going to be dormant for a little bit until we get more news about those respective teams. So reach out to me on social media, like I said, at Mervs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. And if you're watching on YouTube, please comment down below as I would love to hear your thoughts there. Before I wrap up this video, I gotta ask, what'd you think of the new intro? I wanted to talk about this early uh, to start off the episode, but I had a lot of energy and I really kind of wanted to just talk about the whole Patriots and Cam Newton, Stefan Gilmore situation. But what did you think about that intro? Yo, it was so fire. You have to admit that was so fire. I just, I really freaking love it. Same music, same soundtrack. That's cool. But the visuals, the 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 video portion of it is completely different. Like I'm going to watch it now and I just kind of want to go over what, you know, why I put what I did. And I put the Dave Roberts stealing second base from game four, the 2004 ALCS, because guys, Without that steal, Red Sox don't win that game. That steal started the comeback. And I just think that's a monumental, a absolutely monumental moment in Red Sox history. So I had to include that. And I think the timing with the music went very well, especially where the umpire, you know, waves Robert safe at second base. And then it transitions to Kevin Garnett doing knuckle push-ups. Oh, that was so cool. That was so cool. And in the first intro, I only had one clip of the Celtics. And it was, I forget who it was, but, you know, throwing the ball up because they just won the finals that year. So I kind of wanted to change it up a little bit with the Celtics. And I think adding Kevin Garnett doing the push-ups, the knuckle push-ups, was a great, great call. And then it transitions back to the Julian Edelman Super Bowl 51 catch. I kept that clip in there. I just moved it to a different spot. That catch is probably the, is, is. The most famous catch in New England Patriots history and arguably the best catch in all of football. Arguably. And then, oh yes, and then we go to Patrice Bergeron, Game 7 
overtime winner against the Toronto Maple Leafs where the Bruins were down 4-1 to one in the third period, scoring two goals in like 25 seconds with like under 90 seconds to go in that game or whatever. I think that was really awesome. And quite frankly, I really wanted to show more of that where Bergeron kind of goes to the boards and, you know, kind of hugs and jumps with Chara and then the rest of the team kind of, you know, mauls them. But kind of ran out of time, to be honest. So I had to cut a little bit of that out. And then we go to Jason Tatum dunking on LeBron James, his rookie season, in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, the uh, Celtics had a lead that year, and then they kind of blew it and lost. But, I mean... That dunk is one of the most iconic dunks of, I guess, Celtics history, to be honest. I mean, it's a young, blooded Tatum just dunking and throwing it on, you know, the, the arguably the greatest NBA player of all time's face. I think he is the greatest of all time, LeBron James. But like I said, arguably, I think that was, you know, the timing of that music, you know, where Tatum slams it down, you know, just kind of the be the music. I think that's awesome. Then we go to Game 4 of the World Series where Edgar Renteria hits the ball back to Keith Folk and he catches it. I kept that clip there, just moved it, and then we switch over to Adam Vinatieri hitting the game-winning field goal from the 2001 Super Bowl against the St. Louis Rams. Absolutely awesome. I wanted that clip to be a little bit longer in terms of you know the ball being snapped, placed, and kicked, and then the ball in the air. I really wanted the ball to go through the uprights. But when you're only working with 30 seconds, you only have so much to uh, work with. And then in, towards the end where the music kind of starts to go down, we have David Ortiz hitting that game uh, two grand slam against the Tigers in the bottom of the eighth inning. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. And it just kind of just ends right. I don't want to say it ends right there because it goes to the outro part, but I just think with the swing and the ball going over and Torrey Hunter flipping over the bullpen, I just think, oh, it has a, such a great, great just meaning and touch and just it flows very nicely. And then it goes to the outro with the four logos from the Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, and the Patriots. And then Merv's Boston Sports Talk logo to uh, wrap it up. I think it's an awesome outro, uh, intro. Sorry, I like it. A lot better than my first one, and I really like the first intro, to be uh, very honest. So let me know what you think, whether it is on, because uh, I posted just the outro to the YouTube channel, so definitely check it out, Murph's Boston Sports Talk on YouTube. Just the intro is there, but also if you're watching here on YouTube, uh, the podcast itself, you will see the new intro. And if you're only listening on audio-only platforms, definitely go give my YouTube channel a quick little checkout. Because you're going to find some very interesting things. And the 30 seconds of music you hear in the beginning is actual video where there's the intro that I just talked about there as well. So guys, folks, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me on Hump Day. I mean Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I hope you have a fantastic day. The weather is beautiful outside. Go outside and enjoy it. I know I am right now when I finish wrapping up this episode but between now and friday's episode between now and next episode you guys know that i love you and you know that i will always see ya
Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.